0: Up
1: next, it's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR, Reality Check Radio. You with Reality Check Radio. It's Real Talk with Rodney Hyde. Um, Previous to this, I used to fill in on the other station on the internet called The Platform with uh, Sean Plunkett. And I enjoyed that and appreciated that enormously because to me, it was a wonderful opportunity to have alternative views and discussion without being abused and without being shut down. And the wonderful Linda Wharton organized for me the most beautiful people I have ever talked to and not met. And it broke my heart that these wonderful men and women came forward and trusted me through Linda to talk to me about their most personal grief, trauma, and ongoing trauma about what had happened in their lives, which is to say they had been badly injured by the vaccine or suffered the terrible loss of a loved one. And they opened up to me on air, And to the public and gave of themselves. And it was the most privileged thing that had ever happened to me and the most moving. Unfortunately, the platform editorially didn't agree with this. And while it broadcast over the internet live, it was never recorded and saved. And I felt I had let everyone down that had come forward because they had agreed to come on the show and tell their story and their story was cut off and I felt that very deeply and very personally and I felt for the people that I'd had on my show and it's my wonderful isn't it funny how you turn a corner and that ended my career on the platform I should say And isn't it funny how doors close and another one opens and now we have reality check radio where we won't be shut down ever and we will be true to opening up to real talk and reality and opposing views and knowing that we don't always have to agree, we don't always have to say the party line And yet we can disagree, learn from each other, be respectful, and indeed be human and love each other. And I'm so pleased now to have my next guest because she came forward and spoke to me on the platform. And that will be recorded somewhere, but no one is allowed to listen to it, which I find heinous, but not any longer. Because you're with Reality Check Radio, and it's my great privilege to introduce you to Cheryl Amos, so we can learn a little about about her, about her family, and about her son. Good morning, Cheryl.
0: Good morning, Rodney.
1: You are a very lovely person. Thank you for coming on my show.
0: Thank you. Um, it's quite interesting to meet up again. Since that first interview, which must have been about a year ago, I don't know how long ago it was. It would be. But all I remember was it was um, lots and lots of sobbing and tears. So it's been a year, and I hope I can speak a little bit more clearly now.
1: Well, there's time, more time has passed, and we now have more time, and we now have a proper station that's open. And I am pleased that you are still trusting of us because what you're going to share with us is very powerful. Whereabouts are you living, Cheryl? I'm right
0: down the bottom of the New Zealand. I'm in Invercargill.
1: Um what a wonderful spot Invercargill is. I have I grew up in Rangura just north of Christchurch and then I shifted to Auckland and then spent time, obviously, in Wellington, and then slowly in my nearing dotage, I'm drifting further and further (laughs) south. And every step I take south, I enjoy it more. I'm currently in Arrowtown, so I figure I'll end up in Invercargill or Stewart Island. Yeah,
0: well, come and have
1: a cuppa. uh, Well, I'd love that. And I find as I go more south, I feel as though I'm travelling back in time not back in time in the sense of technologically backwards or backwards in terms of thinking but backwards in terms of values and decency and respect does does that make sense to you
0: it does um I'm I've travelled quite widely um Australia and New Zealand and lived in many, many places. And I do find that there's, um, I don't know whether it's the big roads and the big sky, but it's like we allow each other space and there's time. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful place. I like
1: like it too because um, when you meet people, it's always people that do stuff. You know, it's farmers and plumbers and electricians. And we were talking just now about our favorite nursery, which is Dyak's Nursery in Invercargill, which has been a nursery started by Caleb's great-grandfather. I said to him, by the way, when I went to Invercargill to get some plants, I said, oh, have you always been on this site? And he looked up and he said, oh, no, 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 no. No, we've not always been here. I said, oh, really? He says, no, we shifted here in 1933. <laughs> <laughs> that
0: says it all.
1: <laughs> Which is so amazing. You'd expect that in England, but not in New Zealand. No, we haven't always been here. We shifted here in
0: 1933. There's and a lot of beautiful shops like
1: that. There's a lot of beautiful shops. And um people have time for each other and it is very, very wonderful. Oh, and you so you have people that grow nurseries. And if you're living in Wellington or Auckland, and particularly for me when I was a politician, you don't meet people who confront the real world and work in it and solve the problems of the real world and understand the real world and have the humility of the real world. Because if you're a builder or a plumber or a farmer or, you know, dare I say it, a, what, a homemaker, for one of using housewife, um, and you're baking or cooking dinner or growing in your garden, you know there's a reality because if you do it wrong, it doesn't work. And if there's a problem, you've got to fix it. But if you're a, um, a lawyer, um, a policy maker, a wanky politician, you can just live your life in bullshit um, mm-hmm. and make it up out of your own head. And part of me thinking is that's about that move south, is you're getting away from people who work in HR or um, strategic management, Um, Mm. you know, where you get a university degree and write gooberty gook. um, There's something very real about working with your hands, with the land, with materials, with things and making things. And I've got to appreciate that. I built a a, a fence. Man, I studied it on YouTube. I knew all about fence. And I made every mistake. And if you're a politician, you'd explain it away. It wasn't your fault. (laughs) But you can't. Anyway, I'm talking too much here. We've got you on. Tell me, take me back to pre-COVID when you'd never heard of the word. What was your... What was your situation?
0: Well, immediately before COVID, I was I flew to Australia to be with my mother who was dying mm. in Sydney. Mm. And then the COVID hit and things changed. And I went from sleeping with my dying mother in this beautiful rest home. Our beds were pushed together and I was there to be with her while she died Till to these tearful nurses saying, look, we're so sorry, Cheryl, we fought, but you have to leave. And so I had to leave her and come back. So it was just ridiculous. I had to leave her bedside, go out to, I think it was Liverpool and Sydney, and come back in. And then it got worse and worse and I was told by my travel agent like you need to take the next flight home so I think I was on one of the last flights from um Australia to back to New Zealand so that was immediately so that was a wake up call in itself so
1: you you had to leave your dying mum yes to die like die without you
0: yeah Luckily, you would have loved my mum, Rodney. She had no fear of death. She had no fear of death. She was laughing. She was not in pain. She couldn't talk, but she had such a mean sense of humour and no fear, and she died very quickly after that. But it was a terrible thing to have to look her in the eye and say, sorry, mum, you know.
1: my mother really? my mother died uh, in october last year
2: oh and i
1: i loved my mother like you can't love any other human being like i loved her and she loved me and we were very very close and i got to have the last week with her in hospital and she was just like your mum not scared making jokes, she could still talk and hear and was perfectly cognizant. She was 94. Wow. And I had feared this moment for many years now because she was 94, and I was scared she'd die without me there. And we spent that last week together,
2: and I so
1: cherish it.
2: There's nothing like it, is there?
1: I think... I I, yeah. I I miss her still every minute of the day, and I know that will ease. But I'll be somewhere, and I'll literally ears will well up in my eyes for, in a selfish way, because I so miss her. That's beautiful. But I can't imagine having to leave her.
0: It was... Yeah. I it was terrible, um, and I have the, the your mother's love. There is nothing, nothing. like your mother's love, nothing. and it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because to me, my mother was a wild woman, and it wasn't <laughs> about her baking scones or she wasn't that kind of mum. It's a whole different story. But there was a stage where I was crying and I was holding her hands, and I just wanted to comfort her. And then I realised with such a shock that she was comforting me. Yes. And my heart just burst open. I couldn't. I had
1: that. My mother, my mother was giving to me the strength to be without her.
0: We're going to start crying again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, and that's a mother's love. Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah, so I tell my little kids that um they'll never know anything like their mother's love.
0: No, it's so vast. Yeah. Mm. But that's And
2: was
1: it must my... be wonderful to be a mother, to have that love. Dad's yeah. love Dad's love, and I know what a dad's love is. I've got four children, but it doesn't it's nothing like a mother's love.
0: It's huge. It yeah. Well, that was my pre-COVID, so you can imagine that. And then coming home, um, and then we were locked down. I had to be in isolation a little bit before because I'd come in and then locked down. And I'm a good girl, Rodney. Like, you know, I thought, okay, yep, well locked down. And I was well-behaved and someone dropped off something and I sprayed the money to have – I wanted other people to feel safe around me. I, I really wanted that. Where were you locked but, down?
1: Which part of New Zealand?
0: I was in Dunedin. Dunedin. But I was also like, what is happening? This is, what, it felt like what is coming down the pipeline at us? Because it's unstoppable. The oh. the fear tactics, the, the um, non-stop oh, onslaught and fear mongering and it was the part of me was like can we just slow down a bit this
2: is yeah
1: can you know, we I talk just, a, can we talk about this
0: yeah yeah this is insane and i was starting to smell a rat that's Good all i you. can say and um so that was my experience
1: what so was, was your all, family situation in Dunedin?
0: Well, my son, Louis, who we'll be talking about, and my daughter, Daisy, they were down the hill, round the corner, with their dad. And I was locked away and grieving. And that was not good.
1: So you were separated from their dad?
0: Yeah. yeah, And
1: yeah. And they were living with dad?
0: Yeah. So they went down the hill and around the corner, and I couldn't be with them while I was grieving, so it was pretty huge. And um, I also was questioning just questions, and um, I suppose probably looked like a bit of a mad woman. Do you know what I mean? Like, well, I
1: know exactly what you mean. This? Yeah, I went from and being was, a sort of disrespectful MP. XMP and to being a mad person overnight.
0: I tell you what I noticed too, because I'm a quite a sensitive person, and I um I pick up on energy. Um, yes. and I started noticing people bullying each other like, what's mm. going on? A, a friend on Facebook said, I went to the supermarket and someone was just touching the fruit, so I let rip at them. I thought, "What?" And then all these other people were saying, "Yeah, I would have, I would have got stuck in too." And it was just the fear turned into some kind of mass hysteria. hysteria.
2: And when
1: when you're walking down the street, that sense that people would sort of cross the street even, or give you this huge berth that made you think like you were a leper or an outcast. And they you'd yeah. w- look at them and they were doing it to everyone yeah. because each human being was presented as a biohazard.
0: Yeah. And, you know, isn't that a weird thing? Because I was thinking, am I upside down mm. and inside out? Because this does not look like health. No. I don't see health. I see... This continual just sickness and fear and you know, like put a gallon of hand sanitizer on, and that's which is bad for you. Um what do you
1: think it is that you could have that unease and see it? And so many of our friends and family and strangers leapt to it. What do you think i
0: it's a good question isn't it yeah it's a I just it just it was visceral yes that's all I can say it was this visceral like watching this madness unfold
1: yes um, carry on then what happened to your life so you had you were living alone, you were locked down, your mother had just died, you'd gone through the early isolation, you were separated from the father of your children. He was living around the corner down the hill with your two children, Louie and Daisy. Yeah. How old were Louie and Daisy?
0: So Louie, oh, was he 17 at the time?
1: Something like that.
0: Yeah, 17. And Daisy was about 18 and a half, 19. So yeah, they were...
1: And what were they doing? Were they studying or working?
0: Uh, so Daisy was, yeah, she was studying. She's doing graphic design, well, she's finished now. Um, and Louis was a musician.
1: Oh, lovely. Um, what did he play?
0: Oh, he played guitar, drums, he sang, and he wrote.
1: Goodness me, talented he boy. Was,
0: he was very, very talented,
1: very and gifted. And without prying, given that you were separated, did they stay close to you?
0: Yeah, it was. Our family went through a lot, as you do with separation. Um, my my youngest two were unschooled. They were homeschooled. And we had a very close relationship and they were very free and they were just neat kids, really I love neat. It.
1: I love it how you said unschooled because... <sighs> I did two terms of unschooling, because I learned oh. not to call it homeschooling, but to call it unschooling. And it was—it's wonderful, and it was wonderful Beside. for the kids. I'm
0: and so kids, glad.
1: Yeah. And not to replicate school, but to yeah unschool. And, and they learned their, oh. their maths and reading went through the roof.
0: Yeah, but isn't it? funny I mean I suppose this is a bit of a side but um, you know we often hear that from you know from birth to five are the greatest learning years well then why does it suddenly stop why does that curiosity and thirst for learning stop at five Um, I just know that my children yeah they they were passionate about things
1: yeah Mm -hmm. and um, so they would pop to see you, but they lived full-time yeah. with their dad. Got it. Yeah, they
0: lived with their lovely dad, yeah.
1: Mm. And you said lovely dad, so it wasn't like he was, in your mind, the horrible ex. He was someone that you understood and had loved and admired still.
0: Yeah. I mean, of course, it's a very difficult thing when relationships break up. and, mm. and yeah. And How long
1: had you been broken up for?
0: Oh my goodness, since Louis was 14, I think.
1: Okay. okay. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, but no, we were very close as a family. Mm. And yeah, I'd I can go, I could walk in anytime I wanted to, you know what I mean? So And you wouldn't fight going. or argue. Not much.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Just the usual.
0: <laughs> Just the usual. Yeah.
1: So yeah. walk me through the next bit. So Louie was um, what was the epileptic? I'm trying to remember. Asthmatic. Epileptic. Epileptic. So, so how did yeah. that? How? What's? How did that epilepsy manifest and work? Well,
0: um, oh goodness me. Um, he had absent seizures. You know, when people zone out a bit, most of his life, it wasn't a big deal. It's like, oh. I was, Louis zoned out, you know. And when he was um, 14, he had his a grand male seizure. And so that was relatively managed. He had epilepsy.
1: So he had that... When, when was it diagnosed and you knew he was epileptic?
0: When he was 14.
1: Okay. Yeah, yeah. So
0: uh, he would... Come average a seizure a month or, or whatever. It was. he had, was on medication, he was seeing doctors and James was very um passionate and caring about managing and helping him through it. You know, maybe with different diets and things that you kind of get yes. to understand it as you do. Um so that was it. He just It must be
1: frightening to have to deal with, it's not something I've ever had to deal with. I've seen it a couple of times, and I found it very frightening. Yes,
0: yeah. Um,
1: what do you I, do when an epileptic has a fit?
0: Well, okay, I'll tell you a story. Louis and I, um, and this is probably a bit of what I'm like, but it was a very intimate time for me and Louis. So he must have been about 16 or 17, and he decided he was going to take me to the movies. Nice. So we went to the movies together. He's such a gentleman. And we're sitting in the, I think, the front row. And then he had a seizure. And I thought, oh, okay. Well, his chest is open. He's fallen kind of on the side and his chest is open. He's breathing. Okay. So, so I turned to the person behind me. I said, it's okay. He's just having a seizure. He'll be right soon. You know, I didn't want to panic and, wow. you know. So he had a seizure. And then he kind of slumped up and he was a bit groggy. And I looked at him, he kind of, he was a bit groggy and he kind of came to a bit. And I said, it's okay, son, take your time. Just take your time. And then he'd drift out of consciousness a wee bit and come back. It's okay, Louis, we've got plenty of time. And then he kind of came to and we went home.
1: You went home early from the movies?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yes. And it was a really lovely time between us.
1: So those seizures weren't that life-threatening to him?
0: No, no. There were lots of people live with epilepsy. Mm. And the main thing is you kind of keep a bit of space around them, you know, that kind of thing.
1: And was he on medication for it?
0: He was on medication, yeah.
1: And what what did the medication do for him?
0: Well, it was – I – Wasn't a huge fan of the medication myself. It was Logam, and I've heard, or Logam, I haven't heard a lot of, you know, I've heard some pretty bad stuff about it. But apparently it would help. I mean, it was all kind of new to me because he was living with his dad as well. Yes. By that stage, and um, his dad was kind of primarily looking after that side. Um, I would have done things a wee bit probably different, but that's okay, you know.
1: That's and you just take do. logum each day,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. So, in the end, oh, he was on a few pills a day, but um, yeah, and that kind of managed it. But he would have the occasional seizure and then come to,
2: mm. and
0: I think that's quite normal for an epileptic,
2: mm. yeah. Mm.
0: I mean, it wasn't, I mean, some. People suffer from terrible, terrible, they'll yes. have multiple seizures a day. But for Louis, it was, he got on with life and did his thing and would every so often have a seizure. Um, yeah. And then yeah. they'd adjust the medication and on every go.
1: what would happen if you're epileptic, say, and you're driving a car? Do you feel the seizure coming on and you can pull over safely or does it just hit you well, unannounced?
0: Well, he wasn't allowed to drive because
1: of because that. because of that. Oh wow.
0: Yeah, yeah. Because I often spoke to him about it and say, Well, can you feel the seizure coming on, Louie? Like I really wanted him to learn to be a little bit more mindful so that he could tell. Yes. Um but I think they would just come on pretty pretty quickly. Yeah.
1: So um that's this you had to be very mindful and aware of space and where he might fall. Yes. Because you don't know when and you don't know where. So you have to be conscious really each minute of where you are as an epileptic in case you have a seizure. And how often would he have a seizure?
0: Um, Well, it averaged say one a month.
1: Goodness. Yeah. But by... By this time, you had got used to it, you were managing it, you are in a movie theatre, you don't panic, you can see that he's safe and that he just has to get through it and then you take him home. And did they need a rest afterwards?
0: Yeah, sometimes he would get a bit tired, but it would only, you know, it would just last a minute or two. It wasn't a huge, Mm. yeah. So Mm. as long as his chest was open and, you know, those kind of things. When I mean, you say
1: think, the chest is open, I didn't understand oh, that.
0: Oh, sorry. Look, I just saw that as, well, I suppose not so much his chest, but his nose and his mouth and his chest. You know, he was open. He so went, he's not
1: crumpled up?
0: Yes, yeah, so wasn't all crumpled up or squashed. That.
1: So they could yeah. breathe easily?
0: Yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Oh, when you thought his chest was open, I was thinking his shirt was open or? Oh, I uh, think. Okay. Uh, yeah.
0: Because I think a lot of the time, I mean, he'd had – Sometimes he'd wake up in the morning and say, "Oh, I think I had a seizure last night wasn't quite sure because he'd be a bit groggy. Do you know what I mean mm. so i think i I'm not a medical expert uh, but i've you know I've joined the epilepsy society and and you mm. learn that people m- learn to live with epilepsy yes. very well okay. and then
2: what happened so um Well, the, do
0: I say propaganda, marketing,
1: Psychological operation.
0: Yeah. It just got worse and worse and worse, and it was pushing. First we were told there were going to be no mandates. Then there were mandates, um, and it was just pushing, pushing people to get the vaccine. Now, I as a mum, was looking at things like uh, Israel, because I think Israel was one of the most yes. heavily vaccinated countries first, and Gibraltar, I think, was another place, and then you kind of read about what was going on in those places, and um, plus a, uh, a natural, I think it's a natural mother's, like, oh, hold on, um, what we don't know much about this medication we don't know much about it um it's being pushed we do know that young people are not at risk of dying from covid no they are so uh
1: it just seemed didn't seem right didn't you no.
0: and to push and push and push and push and so, so you I, were,
1: you were to use their phrase and when i say their phrase i meaning the government, and everyone who bought into the government, you were what was called vaccine hesitant. Yeah. Yes. yes. And I also, was. too, um, the novelty of the medication was yes. cause for concern for me.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so, we had no long-term studies.
1: No, nah, nah, couldn't have had. It didn't exist previously. So then – I'm sorry to push you along. No, um, keep pushing me. Then then so you were hesitant. The mandates were being pushed. Then what happened?
0: And so I became one of those mad people who just was saying to my children, look, please hold off, don't take it. Um I pushed, I would give them some information.
2: Um I begged them. I even forbade them. And that's something I've never done
0: as a mum.
1: I well, said good, I forbade them. Good bitching. for you. Mm, good for you.
0: But uh alas, that didn't happen. And so you really, never
1: had you never had the jab? No. It's neither. And you I know never what? Had the jab.
0: I've never had the jab. And I tell you what.
1: I've
0: never had COVID. I've never given anyone COVID.
1: You couldn't have. I've
0: never had COVID.
1: Well, you look Um, very healthy. I can see you. You look very, very healthy woman. Um, I, I never had the jab. I got COVID. I gave it to my wife. She never had the jab. She got COVID. I would call it a bad flu for me but I was fine yeah. and I've never had it since. And yeah. as far as I know, my kids have never had COVID yeah. um, and they never had the jab. They were all under 12, which made it easier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, because the pressure on them, even under 12, social pressure was immense. And my middle girl, who's now 10, she would just tell her friends that she'd had the jab to fit in. Yeah, because not to have had the jab was to be an outcast. Yes, my older girl Liberty just said, "Hey, my name is Liberty. Do you think I'm going to stick in my arm? <laughs> what you said to me, To do. <laughs> oh, <that's laughs>
2: she amazing. wore it as
1: a badge of honour that she wasn't jabbed. Oh, um, yeah. so obviously your remonstrations with your children and your forbidding of them didn't succeed.
2: Well,
0: yeah, my children aren't, don't really listen to me.
1: No, we all know <laughs> but, that experience. Yeah. And what about your their father? Was he on your wavelength, or was he different? Like?
0: Not, it, look, it was a very taboo subject, yes. and I also think they were probably sick to death of me going on about it, To tell you the truth, I think they were all
1: mums Mum's become an extremist, yeah. Yeah. And she's reading online and getting herself in a tiz um, with misinformation online. And
0: she's, yeah, or even worse, she's seen a meme and is now brainwashed. And that cracks me up because if you really want to brainwash somebody. What you do is you isolate them for two weeks and you bombard them. That's how you brainwash people. Mm. So interesting, isn't it?
1: So walk me along the path to this, getting the vaccine, your kids.
0: So, um, and I, like, I really don't want to, I've got five children. Well, Louis is dead. My my youngest is dead now, but I still say I've got five children. And they're all completely different. They've all got different views and they're all traumatised by the death of their baby brother. So I can't really speak about them or their decisions. um,
1: Well, let's just talk about Louis.
0: So, but I can, yeah, and I can't even speak for Louis. I speak for me, Louis' mum, because I don't know why he took it. Whether it was pressure or whether he wanted to keep, I don't know why. But he took, um, at that time, it was two shots for summer. Remember that being rammed down everyone's throat?
1: Yes, Ten we'd all be free if we just had two shots.
0: Yeah, and it was aimed at young people. And so Louis had his first jab. And what happened after his first jab?
1: You knew was, that he'd had it, or you knew afterwards? When did you learn he had it? was had
0: afterwards. It? I think he, like Louis and I, were incredibly close. But he knew this Marvin was Tapu. Was.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: we were very, very close. And I can't remember whether he told me about that one because he didn't. Yeah.
2: He didn't he want to hurt you. Mm.
0: Yeah. So anyway, a lot of this is in hindsight now. He had one jab, and then his seizures increased fourfold.
1: So four Uh, months now.
0: Yeah. So I think it was four. Now, I don't know the exact times or anything, Mm -hmm. So, but this is general from what I can gather.
1: Was it the frequency increased or the severity increased?
0: Do you know what? I think it was both. Wow. I think it was both. Then he had his... Is that a
1: known adverse effect now?
0: Yes, it is. That is in the Pfizer reports. Uh, The Pfizer reports, which our government knew about way before Louis had those uh, Mm -hmm. jabs, was that it increased epilepsy. It gave people seizures that had never had seizures before. And it also, those who with epilepsy,
1: it worsened. We know so little about the human body and so little about these medications, don't we? Because the human body is this wonderful complex thing and the way they sold it is though they knew everything there was to know and the idea that our prime minister and opposition, I'm not singling her out and the principals of our schools and heads of departments and everyone in a position would look at you and say, just take the jab. It's safe and effective. They knew nothing about how your body works and reacts. They couldn't know. But now we discover they had reports on their desk saying they couldn't know. And indeed There were reports, I'm sure our Prime Minister never read it, but there were extant reports from Pfizer and authorities saying here are the things that can happen.
0: And it's harrowing reading. I have nine pages of those adverse effects, Mm -hmm. and there's multiple... um, Mm. multiple
1: So, so, Louis... Had the jab, first jab, and his severity and frequency and and the severity worsened as a consequence, a known adverse effect. He had one jab. Did he have a second?
0: He had a second, and it became worse.
1: Again Uh, worse. It went up again.
0: again. Yeah, yeah. It became much worse, and it was
2: five seizures in – Oh, I can't re- it was a much shorter time frame
0: and it was 5 and I believe they were getting worse. I spoke to him on the phone and I said, "Are you okay, Louie? You sound off." Like I'm very close to him. He just sounded off and then uh, the people the managers of his local cafe that he loved, they noticed something was really off with him. He came into the cafe Three times that day, and and just was behaving out of character.
1: Like zoned out or? Like. Different.
0: Different. Just like enough for them to say, whoa, what's happened?
1: Is epilepsy something, I'm sorry, I know nothing, is that something in the brain doing it? So is it I your brain function? Most,
0: yeah, it's like a, an electrical storm. Okay. Of, of so, the, okay. yeah, that's how I would it. So it can it. alter your behavior? Well, I don't know whether it can. Okay. Or because it was getting worse and worse and worse mm. than it was. There's no U-
1: doubt in your mind, given that it was pretty regular, it was managed, there's no doubt in your mind that this increase in frequency and severity was a consequence of the jab?
0: There's no doubt in my mind.
1: Well, particularly, I guess, because you have one and it increases, you have two and it increases again.
0: And the severity. And to have a seizure that killed him.
1: Mm. Well, we'll get to that. Um, did you, at this stage, did he seek medical help, talk to a GP or anyone because of this increasing severity?
0: Unfortunately. Um, Over the last week, he didn't tell me. So there was a lot of it I didn't find out till later. Okay. A lot of it was kept.
1: Yes. Um, And I can understand that because um, as close as I was to my mum, there were certain things I did that I didn't tell her about
2: yeah because
1: yeah. I didn't want to upset her, yeah, and um you do protect your loved ones by not telling them some things, something that would upset them or something that upset you. Um, yeah. so he's had the second jab. We're going to come to the painful bit, I think
2: He died you know, he died uh.
0: Yeah, he died, so his birthday was on the 10th of February, he just turned 19, he died on the 19th of February, um, no, sorry, the 16th of February, six days later,
1: after his 19th. How long after the jab?
0: So, oh, I wish I had my paperwork here. No, don't, don't worry, know. it was
1: weeks or months yeah. later? Weeks. 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 Yeah, so, that's has, so he died from a severe epileptic attack? Yes. Was and, it the epileptic attack that killed him or was it where he fell or how he fell or how did he die? Um,
0: so Louis' dad found him. He, he died at home. Now, I don't have the coroner's report yet. That's another thing. It's been, I think, 14 months, and that's been a bit of a nightmare. Getting answers, going backwards and forwards, being shuffled here to there, not being replied to. It's a mess. So So he died at home. Yeah. And his dad found him. Um, I was in Wellington. I was in Wellington. I was protesting because. I could. I just thought they're going to come for these little children next. They're going to keep pushing and pushing, and I've got to do my bit to so they don't push this on to my grandchildren. How ironic!
1: How ironic that you were at the parliamentary protest, protesting against the mandates, protesting with the vaccine injured. Yes. protesting with family who had lost loved ones through the vaccine. And while you were protesting, your son died from That's the vaccine. Right.
2: Yeah.
0: That's right. And, you know, I felt a shame, a terrible shame. Of course. That, oh, people will think I'm just an anti-vaxxer and I'm saying this. Do you know what I mean? And I thought, okay, just come, you know, like I'm just, we went home, we flew straight back to be with our boy, and I thought, okay, now just take it, you know, calmly. We don't know what exactly happened, and that's, then I found out he'd had four seizures, and I was upset, and then I found out it was nine seizures, and I just, it was,
2: the most horrific thing it was it was horrific my poor darling boy i mean yeah it just that just about destroyed me and uh yeah
1: was james at home when he died or did he come home and find him
0: oh he james was working He was at the back of the house because he had an office out there. And bless him. And I just, I wouldn't wish that on the trauma that that poor man went through to find this boy, Um,
2: his worst nightmare. Yeah. That is. So. It's indescribable.
1: James had these increasing. Epileptic seizures. Sorry, Louis. Louis. I apologize. Louis had these increasing frequency and severity of these epileptic seizures. He had a particularly bad one at home, and he died from that seizure. Yeah. How does the seizure kill you?
0: I don't know. Um,
1: And, of course, you haven't had the report.
0: I haven't had the report. Sometimes um, I don't know if his airway was blocked. Mm -hmm. That may have happened, that he landed in a way that blocked his airway. Uh, I mean, I've grown up, I think I had one friend whose brother died of epilepsy. He died from having a seizure in the bath. Mm. So that kind of thing. Do you Mm. know what I mean? Yes. Um, so we don't know yet because I haven't had the report back and it's been a very, very long time.
1: And, that's and, just- and you and I don't trust the process and we don't trust the people that are administering the process. I don't trust them. No. And that's part of it too.
0: Well, I've had the... Uh, The pathologist's report. Oh, yes. And to me, um, I mean, it's the, I still can't believe I'm still standing here because I never thought I could see the day where I'd be reading about what was in my son's bloodstream, you know, how much his heart weighed. That's a huge thing. Sorry for crying, but um,
1: take your time.
0: But they talked about, um, What if there was any nicotine in his system and what that kind of stuff and about his
2: medication? But there's nothing about a vaccine. Why is it not mentioned? It's like it didn't exist. I don't understand that. Well, they're not being truthful. Yeah. And I find it hard in my heart to forgive them, because you're not, we're
1: not wanting them to say, oh, the vaccine killed him, but the fact that he was vaccinated is a material fact.
0: And the fact that the Pfizer report states clearly that one of the adverse um, effects of that vaccine is an increase in seizures.
1: Yes, so it's not only, it's a very material fact.
0: And And why are we not warning people and saying, look, if you've got this or that or whatever, or you're a young man,
2: this isn't going to be good for you.
1: And there are people
2: like me who believe you. Thank you. And I
1: didn't think the vaccine, while I wouldn't take it, first of all because I wasn't convinced of the need, And I postponed it. I wasn't convinced of the safety,
2: so I postponed it. And when that horrible Prime Minister, and this is to me when she turned horrible, and everyone in Parliament turned horrible, when she said, if you don't take that vaccine, you will lose your job. Yeah. At that point, I refused. Now, for yeah. me, for me, the cost
1: was nothing because I didn't lose my job by not taking it. And to be honest, going out to a party and not going out to a party was a blessing. I prefer to do these things at this stage because I was sick of it, people. But that's when I dug my heels in.
2: It's a special kind of hell to be grieving because that I
0: have to put this aside and grieve. I cannot stop. Do you know what I mean? It's important that I mm. grieve my son and honour that
1: process. Well, Um, we do do that, and I thought, and this is just gently easing into this, Cheryl, when I first heard, and I apologize for this, when I first heard of people complaining about vaccine injuries, because at that stage that was all I was hearing, I thought, oh,
2: That'll be a coincidence
1: because people get sick all the time and something happened and it's not necessarily causal. And then I heard about poor Rory Neens, I hope I got his surname right, that died in uh, Dinan. is it
0: Nan?
1: Nan.
2: Yeah.
1: And I thought, whoa. But
2: when I went to the protest,
1: I met. Oh, and I thought, B, they could be hypochondriacs or um, lazy people who don't want to work. Yeah. And and so I
2: thought, my mind couldn't grasp that our
1: government had said to people, take this jab or lose your job and all your social contacts and all your living,
2: and that that vaccine
1: could hurt people. I couldn't get that into my head. So I was, even in my state then, I was disbelieving of I didn't know you, but I would have been disbelieving of you just if I yeah. read it, heard about it. Then I went yeah. to the protest, and I met the vaccine
2: injured and Rory Nunn's beautiful fiance. And
1: it was totally genuine.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And some of them were fortunate to have doctors who were brave and stated it. Yes. And in Rory Nan's case, proof, Yes. recognition. Yes. Do you know...
2: That was the biggest head shift or mind shock I have ever experienced. Wow. Because,
1: and I was resisting the thought. You know what wow. I mean? Yeah. I didn't want to believe. I thought it was horrible, the mandates. Disgustingly horrible. Take this medication or else. But the thought, I couldn't accept the thought that that might hurt people. And the strange thing is, Cheryl, I regarded it as a possibility,
2: but dismissed it because it was like too too enormous oh, I, such a, oh, so I, I understand people who went along with the vaccine
1: having what I had which is a cognitive dissonance that you can't accept it no. it's, it's too it's too big an idea It's too awful to accept that this was done too. This wasn't something. Any death is terrible. And someone who takes drugs and dies, it's terrible, or drinks too much and dies, or has a car accident and dies. That's terrible. But this was something that you had to take to keep your job or to go out or to play sport because our government said so. They made laws. And that killed them. That's a big, that's never happened to my knowledge.
0: No. It's brought home to me too that I think what are people afraid of? I don't think people are afraid of the government or Big Brother or whatever, but what people are afraid of is what their friends think, yes. or what their neighbours think. Those things are really important, and that kind of uh, peer pressure, or being, you know, the worst thing we can do to a person is ostracise them. Yes. I mean, that was used as a punishment in the Middle Ages. Mm. You know, you'd be ostracised, or if you got your head chopped off, it would be put on a pole.
1: Well, we sort of did that with Posie Parker. We chopped her head off and put it on a pole metaphorically. Tell me,
2: I can imagine, I believe I'm doing the right thing.
1: I'm told by everyone and by experts and by the government and by people I trust that this is safe and
2: effective. I take my jabs, I get my kids jabbed. I can't allow the thought to enter my head that I could have damaged myself by doing that or,
1: more monstrous, damaged my children. Yeah. So when I I hear... When I hear Cheryl Amos say, my child died
2: because of the vaccine, I have to say she's wrong. That didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Because if I accept what you're telling me, I've done something terrible. The thing is, New Zealand
0: is such a small country and we're all like two degrees of separation. So we all know. That's the thing.
1: We all know someone.
0: We all know someone who's been injured. We We all all
2: know.
1: And they know it. I've got a friend who was injured. Her doctor told her it was caused by the vaccine, heart attack, young woman. She behaves as though
2: that's not true. Yeah.
1: Because she had her children vaccinated.
2: It's a horror.
1: Um, It must be very
2: hard on your... No one wants to have a parent die. The idea of a child dying is inconsolable. Yeah. But it happens. But
1: overlaying that, you've had this, and you've got the worst scenario because... You were telling everyone that would listen not to take it.
2: You forbid them to take it. And they did it. And now everyone in your circle, your family and friends, are not just confronting the terrible loss of a beautiful boy who they'll miss
1: for the rest of their lives. And for some of them, it's they wake up feeling okay and then the thought hits them that he's dead. And they feel the loss like for the first time again. Yes. They've also got this. So the strain on your relationship with James and your other children
2: must be immense. Yes. Um, I'll quote a 12-step programme
0: tradition. It goes, as long as the ties that bind us together Are stronger than those that would rip us apart, tear us apart. All will be well, and we're all growing. You know, this is.
1: I bet. Well, that's wonderful. It's not split you up. It's you're working through it.
0: It's we're working through it, but it's. I think one of the hardest things. One, I lost my beautiful baby. It was the baby of the family. Um, but two, I had to watch. His brothers and sisters grieve, and that no mother wants to do that. To watch her children grieve, to watch her grandchildren grieve, to see a a, a seven year old.
2: Yeah, and a nine year old with a blanket on his head, and a little boy just staring blindly because of the shock. That has been the hardest thing. And um,
0: all I can do is just keep putting one step in front of the other and growing and hopefully just, even if I can just show my children, this is how you survive. Um, So, yeah, it's one thing to lose a child. It's two, to lose him in this situation. And it's to, to grieve while you're called every name under the sun. Well, i tell you what, I'm the strongest person. I, I didn't ever think I could survive that. How can you survive grieving your son while someone sends you a heart? Oh, I'm so sorry. And then in the next breath calls you a C-U-N-T.
1: My goodness.
0: Because that's what our society's come to. The hatred, the vitriol, you know, to be called filth. I'm not (laughs) all those things.
1: Does your uh, this is a tough question and I'm going to ask it. Yes. And I hope you don't mind. No. And I won't, no one listening will think any less of you if you don't want to answer or whatever your answer is. Does your does James and your children think it's the vaccine that killed him?
0: Um, it's I. Once again, I can't really
2: speak
1: that,
0: for them because I I think that would be wrong for me to speak for them.
1: Have you had it the was, conversation?
0: Yeah, yeah. And all I can say is it's a it's a spectrum.
1: Isn't that interesting? i um, yeah. thank you for. I understand that, and I think every yeah. listener will understand that. And yeah, and
0: it's a, yeah, it's a coming to a an awareness for some yes. of them of the family. I'll talk about the big wider family as well. Um, it's a coming to awareness. Um, there are some people who who think no way that it was a vaccine. No, there are, and I respect that. And there are some that have awakened to the horror of it, but then they have to process the terrible, terrible shock. Yes. And everything that goes with it. Um, I
1: I know I speak for everyone listening, Cheryl. You are a very, very special person. You're very, very wonderful. Because to have that level of understanding and forgiveness in the face of such overwhelming tragedy and the way you've been treated, I would hope that I could be like you in your situation. I doubt I would be.
0: Look, I tell you what. I
1: so, so admire it.
0: I'm a, well, I've grown. I I want to honour my son and be a better person for him because, you know, he was, I can tell you one thing about Louis and his family, and our family. That boy was loved. Um, When he was born, he had three older brothers and sisters. They were teenagers. I think Jeremy might have been 12 and a little, a big sister, he never slept in a bassinet. He slept in our arms. He was carried by everyone. He was absolutely loved. Mm -hmm. So um, I do not want to live my life with one shred of hardness in my heart. You haven't got that? Thank you. I've got a terrible temper.
1: (laughs) Well, I hope you unleash it at the appropriate times. Um,
2: I'm learning.
1: And I love it that you're not saying I told you so or being confronting or being blaming. I love it. You've got such love and understanding over this. Um, It's
0: not, but that's the thing. We're all innocent.
1: Everyone
0: is innocent. Everyone did the right thing.
1: And possibly even the Prime Minister. You know, I don't know. Maybe when I think of your understanding, maybe I've got to be more understanding because I struggle.
0: I'm going to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. Um, When it comes to my friends and my family and, and my, you know, beautiful people, there's nothing but understanding and forgiveness and i don't think there's anything to forgive actually there's nothing to forgive but as far as any politician who did harm even if it was just stamping with a little rubber stamp and caused and knew that this was going to cause death
2: and did nothing about it I do not give them a thought, and the reason I don't give them a
0: thought is I think sometimes we empathic humans believe that other people have a conscience. The fact is there is a small amount of people in the world that lack conscience, and therefore there's nothing to appeal to. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You can't appeal to something that doesn't exist wow. and say, well, why can you sleep at night? Yeah, you can't can sleep at night. I don't care.
1: Yeah, well, Joe Stalin and Adolf Hitler had great night's sleep.
0: Exactly.
1: I f- struggled.
2: When it was officially recognized that Rory Nan had died of the vaccine, I would have expected the next day all mandates to be lifted. Yes. Because I would have thought you would say... We
1: can't force anyone to do something that might kill you because we now know we can't argue. It can kill you. We would like everyone to take the vaccine because even with this death, we think on balance, it's good for everyone. And we believe that the risk of death is infinitesimal and this is very unfortunate. But those bastards
2: didn't do that. They said, yes, we
1: know we told you it was safe and effective, but if we said anything else, you wouldn't have taken it. Yeah. And the fact that at least one person died, on balance, is acceptable.
2: I can't understand
1: the monstrosity, forget the numbers that have died or injured, I can't understand the monstrosity of the thinking
2: that thinks that's acceptable.
1: No. We we all hop in a car and drive about to live our lives and have a good life. And it's a huge benefit. And we live a much greater life than if we couldn't. And we accept the risk that we could be killed in an accident that was no fault of ours.
2: But we're not forced to take that risk. We're not forced to
1: um, take a risk on something that could kill us for the benefit of society outside of a war.
2: Exactly. And,
1: And even then,
2: we would never conscript again. Yeah. Now... it's i i i am um, and oh, the next point was we didn't even have informed consent because everyone told worry it's safe were when we had thousands of people lining up
0: were those, were, were those people informed of any side effects?
1: No, they were told it was safe and effective.
0: So, yeah.
1: And I had people telling me, Rodney, it's just a jab. Just take it and get on with it. And you're saying, what? Just take. I mean, it's not have an ice cream and get it over with or, you know, get a tooth pulled and get, no. get your tooth pulled and get over it. It was nothing like that.
0: And to say it's a, vac- it's a vaccine, like it's like every other vaccine.
1: Mm, it's, and oh, it's goodness. nothing like any other vaccine they like. No,
0: it's nothing like any other vaccine.
1: Nothing. And maybe, maybe the politicians and the uh, prime minister and the bureaucrats, maybe they're in the same cognitive dissonance, you know, that they can't accept what they've done. And I don't know the numbers of injured because they won't provide the data. No one's allowed to look or the numbers that have died. But I know it's a lot. Yeah. And I know some of them will be a coincidence. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah.
1: But it's it's too overwhelming now.
2: I would, I'm not going to, unless you want to share with us, I would normally ask what's next for you, but I don't
1: feel the need because you're sort of taking everything in your stride. But if you'd like to share with us what you're thinking is next, Please do.
0: Like in my own personal life? Yeah. yeah it's, and thank you. It's so lovely for you to acknowledge or see me as a person with forgiveness. Once again, I don't think there's anything to forgive. We're all innocent. But, um, But This has been a, I've not cried. I've cried a river. I've just cried so much. I've made, I've howled. I've, um, I've just been a complete and utter destroyed mess, and I do have rage. I have rage. Um, so I've had to work through all that. I've become a bit like you. We Just something like this makes you question or made me question What is important? And in the early days, I was very much alone in my grief and in the cargo. And so I had to treat myself as a newborn baby and mother myself. And that meant cook food, sleep, bath, and I would do a couple of things and then I would shut down for the day. Like it's half past one, half past one in the afternoon, put the fire on, shut down and totally nurture myself. So that's what I've been doing. And I'm going back to what is real and what is important. And for me, that's gardening and growing food. Oh, lovely.
1: Me too. And we get Wally Richards on on the show, and he's just a great help on our gardens. Oh, that's wonderful.
0: Nature doesn't lie, does it, Rodney?
1: Doesn't lie.
0: Humans lie, but trees don't lie, cabbages no. don't lie. No. So yeah, I've been preserving, I've been doing that, um, and just letting life unfold because I think it's I just think this old way of being, it's the collapse of civilization, if you call it civilization, and that we're regrouping
1: yes, I into concur. something better. I concur. Yeah. Um, yeah. how do you handle because there's a very high probability of this, how will you handle the pathologist report and the coroner's report never mentioning the word vaccine?
0: I am living in a bit of anxiety, waiting for the email. And I know what I'm going to get, but I'm still afraid. And I know it's going to be another huge shock and a huge, a lot of grief to go through. Um, so, what I will do next, I think, is
2: um, I will compose an open letter.
1: Good. And when you're ready, come back on our show.
0: I would love to, thank you. And I know I can't change anything. I can't bring my son back. I don't even know if I, you know, I think there will be justice.
1: I think I there is there, there is going come. to be. If not in this world, then the next.
0: Well, I believe there's going to be a Nuremberg too.
2: Mm,
1: mm.
0: And people will be held to
2: account. And that won't bring my son back either. So um but all I think
1: Well there's is part that, of that please. part of that Nuremberg was justice for the living. Oh, okay. So we could never bring the dead back, but there had to be almost a show trial in the sense that where do you start with holding people to account for that? Joe Stalin wanted just to go and kill fifty thousand Germans and you know the allies thought that's a bit rough and so they went through a new process and held some to account but they couldn't hold all many very serious nazis were employed because they needed them to rebuild germany that's and, right and it was an amazing process but it Signaled, it was part of the thing of showing the banality of evil that these were ordinary people who'd done evil. They weren't special categories of people. They were just like us in a sense.
0: They were just doing their job.
1: Just doing it's... their job. And then yeah. um, they were helped to account so that we could move on. Alexander Solzhenitsyn in the Gulag Archipelago said a powerful thing that's always stayed with me. And it's about making life. More complicated than we'd like to, but also gives us great understanding. And it's always stayed with me from when I read his wonderful book. And here was a man that had witnessed inhumanity on the largest scale imaginable, and he said, "The line I've got got his beautiful words right." I'll, so. I'm making it up, but I'm getting the sense. The line between good and evil doesn't run between people. It's not as simple that there are evil people and there are good people and you can divide them up and deal to the evil people on behalf of the good people. Because he said the line between good and evil run through each of our own hearts.
0: Yeah, I love that. Mm. I love that. And that's it, and that's where the peace resides, isn't it? It's that's yes. where it all... You can't, my... yeah. you can't
1: say, I'm good, they're evil, because that's actually the cause of war and conflict. But that yes. in each of our hearts is a line, and we're working on that line. And I thought it was the most, Wonderful, Christian, truthful, real thing that I'd ever read for a man who had suffered so much from people that tortured him. I love that. Mm. Tell me um, another thought. If I put myself into uh, government ministers or bureaucrats or prime minister's head, And they say, oh, yes, and I'm picking on Rory, not Louie, because Rory's acknowledged by the government. It's the only reason. And they said, oh, yes, poor Rory, young man, no risk ever of being killed by COVID. But to quote Sean Plunkett, he took one for the team. Well,
2: that
1: says it all. It does. He died. So we all might love, which is the um, attitude, right? Uh, yeah. If, that would be yeah, that's a, that's that's the government's official view on yeah. Life. If that's true, you'd build a statue to
2: him, a monument,
1: because every ANZAC day, all these politicians turn out to honour the dead, young men. Who gave their lives so that we might live. And what they're saying is, well, he was one of them. Right? And they're thinking, I don't, you and I don't believe it. No. But, well, the very- that. but they actually treat him and his family with disdain. They don't exactly. want to acknowledge it, first of all.
2: And if forced to, rather than honour the sacrifice, they refuse ever to mention it. Uh,
0: that's that's makes so much sense. And when we talk about team, I find oh, it gosh. interesting because remember the team of five million. Um, I is that the team of five millennia? Yes. I don't like that word team, and there's a reason I don't like it. Because to me, a team is oh yeah, we take one for a team. Oh yeah, that one, yeah, that one died. Oh well, come on team, we're all one. We all wear the same clothes. We're all in it together. I pref- prefer to see myself as a family of five million, a family of five million. Mm. We have the old. We have the young, we have babies, we have the annoying ones. We're all included in our diversity. And then we can look at, well, we'll leave that person. That person doesn't need to have that medication, but that person does. That person needs extra care. Let's really look after, like we used to do in the old days. You know, if somebody was going through chemotherapy, we we looked after them if they had an immune disorder. We looked after them. If you had a runny nose, you didn't go to school. Uh Yeah, so I find the
1: team. And I want to be able to withdraw from the team or leave the family because that's how I felt. Yeah, we're a team of five million, but hang on. <laughs> I don't agree with this. Can I sit out? But if you left the team, you were like a heretic to be – metaphorically burned at the stake Um, Cheryl
2: there won't be thank you for coming on the show and sharing with you your personal horrific tragedy and
1: the suffering but the terrible compounding, exacerbating of that suffering by what we can call the narrative with a
2: capital N, there won't be a listener
1: who doesn't empathise with you as best we can, not having lived through anything remotely close to what you've gone through but
2: there also won't be a listener that doesn't appreciate your strength and your love and your spirit.
1: There won't be a one. And admire you and respect you for it and to hope that we could just achieve that a little bit. and. People who want to send a kind message to Cheryl can, through me, send me a note at info at realitycheck.radio and I will pass it on to Cheryl so you can send her your kind words and respect and love. Because I think we've shared something very special, Cheryl, with listeners. And you're lost for words, aren't you? You just sit there quietly and I will wrap up the show. And when you're ready and you get your words, get your official response consistent with the narrative with a capital N and you're up for it, come back on the show and greet our listeners. I can't thank you enough. I couldn't
2: respect someone more. And I
1: couldn't feel more moved. So you sit there and just relax. And do come back.
2: You're with Real Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on Reality Check Radio. We've just listened to an amazing woman, mother, wife, who has shared with us her loss and grief. And I have no words.
1: So please email Cheryl through us at info at realitycheck.radio. It will help and make a difference.
2: And keep listening, because we need to talk about this.
1: We need openness and truth. We need to be able to talk to each other without fear of being
2: condemned or judged. And it's not
1: that one person's right or one person's wrong or we're misguided. No, we just need to talk first. And through the talking, we can grieve and get to understand each other. And through the discussion and the debate, we can see what each person is feeling But with that transparency, we can get to the truth.
2: And with the truth, we can get to justice and accountability.
1: Because right now, it's not right. It's not right that people like Cheryl
2: are shut down and excluded
1: and actually said, they're mad. Oh, they've gone down a rabbit hole. Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. Because what you're doing then is you're taking a person who's grieving and kicking them. And on Reality Check Radio, we're going to hold them all to account. So stay listening. Thank you for being with me, with Cheryl. Thank you for listening. You've been listening to Real Talk with Rodney Hyde on RCR Reality Check Radio.